This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Youth Baseball Talk. Only on lineupmedia.fm. Now your host, Jim Cromer. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Youth Baseball Talk, brought to you by The Rope Trainer. And as John Smoltz says, everyone should have one from big leaguers to little leaguers. So make sure you check out theropetrainer.com today. Uh, really excited about today's show. We've been talking a lot about a, a, an interesting article that kind of made its way around the Internet. When did youth sports become a $15 billion industry? So I've been wanting to look a little bit at baseball and, and the cost and the changes that have happened over time when it comes to you know, a game that a lot of us would, would look at and say, you know, it was a kid's game. And, you know, when did the kid's game become an adult game? And sometimes you look at professional athletes and you say that, you know, they're, they're, they're just grown men playing a kid's game. And sometimes that couldn't be further from the truth. And sometimes that's exactly what it is. So I think everything has a, uh, has a tale to tell. And, and there's good and bad with all of it, of course. Uh, I think that ultimately, in my opinion, again, is what it comes down to when it comes to youth sports and this particular topic. And that's really my opinion in a quick nutshell is that I think the business is something you're never going to get away from because everything has become big business, right? But um, just as I say that I think some things are silly, I also am not a dream killer. So if some kid wants to work really hard and his family has the means and they want to provide him with all kinds of training and and specialized equipment and all this kind of stuff, well, then so be it. Who am I to say that that's wrong? Just like who are they to say that it's absolutely right and what you have to do? It's all personal choice, I think, at the end of the day. Um, I do believe to some degree that some people uh, um, would say that it's unnecessary. I think you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't take a real hard look at what you're doing, why you're doing it, and what you... uh, uh, eventually hope to accomplish in what you're trying to do. So uh, I, I wanted to, to, to attack this from a different perspective, and that's why I'm really, really excited about today's guest. Before we get to him, though, I want to remind everybody to check us out at youthbaseballtalk.com. That's where you'll find the podcast. It's also where you can subscribe to the show. It's completely free, and we're happy to have uh, all, all our members out there do that, as I think it will, be, uh, it will be worth your time, especially if you're involved in this great game. Social media is a great way for us to stay connected with all the great people involved in this game of baseball. You can find us at Podcast Baseball on Twitter. Uh, and on Facebook, simply type in Youth Baseball Talk. We would love to have you guys follow us. And uh, when you see the show, if you would just share it in an effort for us to reach all your friends and family that are involved in this great game, it would allow us to try to spread the message that we, we do believe in here at uh, Youth Baseball Talk. Again, I can't say enough about all the gang over at the Rope Trainer. Um, if any of you have never Googled John Smoltz's Hall of Fame speech, you know, he took a very important moment in his life and decided to dedicate a, a small t- a small fraction of it to this growing arm problem that we have with youth baseball. And whether you think it's overuse, whether you think it's innings, whether you think it's curveballs, no matter what you think it is, we have a problem. John has jumped in with the guys, Earl Perrin, and Chris Verna, and they've got a real item here that is designed specifically to help kids not overuse their arms, train their arms, build them up the way they should be done. And again, I think they've done a great job. You're going to hear from their representative, Kurt McNabb, with Dirtbag Baseball Nation as he comes to you each and every week on the Roper Trainer Report. 
and he tells you what it's about and how you should be using what you should be doing. Tips on the game of baseball. Those are the types of things we try to bring you here at Youth Baseball. Uh, again, we couldn't do that without the folks at lineupmedia.fm. Check them out. They're going to have another podcast there that I'm sure you'll enjoy. They're the fastest-growing podcast company on the planet. And, again, I know that uh, you'll find another uh, a show that will be worth your time because if you're listening to this, you obviously understand that podcasting is an opportunity for you to listen to what you want to listen to and how you want to listen to it. So make sure you check them out, lineupmedia.fm. want to get to uh, today's guest right away as I'm honored to have him. Um, talk to him, you know, since I've gotten involved in the game of youth baseball with my sons when they were very young. He was a guy that uh, – I became real familiar with real quick when I moved uh, to this area, and um, there's no doubt that I had heard about uh, about him from people. And then, uh, as I like to say affectionately, I learned a whole lot more from him himself as he would love to talk about baseball and will not be shy in letting you know that he feels like uh, while he won't – I'm sure he won't say everything he did was always right, but he always tried to do the right thing, and that's ultimately what we all are trying to do at the youth baseball level. So – uh, I want to welcome in the legendary Edwardsville High School baseball coach, Tom Pyle. What's going on, bud? Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me. Well, um, you know, Tom, I, I brought you in, and, and I, you're gracious with your time in retirement, and, you know, whereas, uh, you know, you've got plenty of time now, so you should be gracious with it. But uh, I, um, I uh, am hoping that you um, can help us a little bit with the perception of the game of youth baseball and this great article that that, that was out, uh, when did youth sports become a $15, $15 billion business? If I'm not mistaken, I think that kind of happened on, I'm not going to say on your watch, but really I know that you saw the transformation from the quote-unquote good old days to individual this and training this and got to have this, and if, and, and if this isn't right, something's wrong. So I know you went through it. And I also know that you did a great job as a manager and as a coach of, of trying to find a way to fit all that in neatly, which isn't always easy. So wanted to get your thoughts on, on, on some things when it comes to baseball, because like I said, you're a, you're, a, you're a fascinating guy that has a great story. And, you know, what I love most about some of the stories that you tell, which molded you was you came from a simpler time. I think you would agree with that. And you played all sports. You loved all sports. You became the athlete you became, and you just tried to be the best player you can be. And now it seems like we live in a day and age. And, again, I'm not saying which one's right or wrong. It's just different where kids are training to be the best they can be, and they're doing it at high expense. They're doing it at high expense to their wallets and their pocketbooks, but they're also doing it at high expense sometimes to their youth. They're giving away their childhood sometimes in some instances, and, you know, there's always an excuse why it's the right thing or the wrong thing, but I thought I'd want to get a perspective from you a little bit, a guy that kind of started on one end, and now here you are at this end of it. Well, uh, let's talk about youth baseball, and I'll start when I was a kid. Uh, Probably around 1950 when um, uh, I first picked up my first ball, and played by myself, threw it against the wall, and uh, that's how I kind of got started. Unfortunately, my hometown of Winchester, Illinois, didn't have baseball. But my grandma lived in Bluffs, Illinois, and that's when I uh, got on a team. I met Lee Frederick, a very good friend of mine. He's involved in sports today on Sports Tours International. And um, he said, you want to play some baseball? And I said, yes. And so I got on this team. 
And believe it or not, this guy, he was an old railroad man. Wabash Railroad ran through bluffs. And he kind of did it on his own and started this team. Well, let me tell you something. Before we'd have a game, I would put my uniform on two to four hours before game time. That's how much I wanted to play. And people will reflect on that, and they'll remember when they did it. And what made it even more difficult, those old uniforms were wool. They were hot. They were scratchy. But you know what? It was my uniform, and I put it on. The first base hit I got looked like a line drive, but it wasn't. It was a 14-hopper that went right up the middle, and to this day, and that was a long time ago. That was almost 60 years ago. I can still remember that base hit. It's one of my thrills of all time because hitting a baseball is hard to do. I played all the sports, and hitting that baseball was the hardest thing I had to do. I've scored touchdowns. I've made winning baskets in basketball. But that base hit still looms as one of my thrills. And the other thrill, getting back to it, when I got my first glove, I had a birthday, and I asked Mom if I could get a glove out of Sears and Roebuck. The old mail order catalog cost $10.95. And she said, there is no human way we can afford that glove. And that was a big high-dollar glove back in those days. And so my birthday came, and I had a little party, and I opened up all the presents and a few presents back then from the kids, and, and then I opened up Mom and No Glove. You talk about deflated, depressed, and, I mean, it was, I, it was one of my big downers, one of my first downers of all time. I think I was around the fourth grade then. And then she comes in my bedroom and brings the glove. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I got goosebumps right now. I'm 73 years old, and I got goosebumps right now remembering that glove, and it was one of the best gifts I ever got. Now, that's youth baseball in 1950, 54, 57. Today, if I don't have a little machine to play a game on it and do my thumbs, then it's, they don't have fun, it doesn't seem like. And, Jim, you'll verify this. Going outside and playing ball, and I don't care what it was, roundies, workup, Indian ball, uh, get bottle caps and throw it at each other. I mean, at, at the bat, little little broomstick. Get a bat and hit rocks. Anything to with baseball. Of course, that was big back then. Now you got everything. You got soccer. You got uh, youth football. You've got basketball leagues, and then you've got all kinds of different things. And baseball was the sport, Americans game, back in the day. Jim, I'll let you talk in a minute. And now it's uh, it's not the game. It's not the, the number one game. Well, you know, it's interesting. I Hearing you say that, I got goosebumps too, by the way, thinking about that. Because um, I, I hate to say it, I haven't thought about it in so long, but I remember my first glove. I remember my dad taking me to get it for him. I remember going up there. I'll never forget wondering what the finest in the field meant because that was that was the engraved in the the Rawlings gloves. You know, the finest in the field. I thought, man, what does that mean? Am I the finest in the field? I, I just I remember reading that. I mean, it gives me goosebumps now thinking about my first baseball glove. And then Jim, they had a name on it like uh, 
Oh, yeah, it'd be uh, a player. Bo- Bobby, yeah. Bobby Avila from yeah. Cleveland Indians. Yep. And, and you'd say, oh, my golly, yep. Bobby Avila uses this glove, and which isn't even close to being true. But, uh, man, I mean, that leather, and you break it in, and you put the ball in it, and you play catch, and then you put a string around it and tie it, remember? Oh, and my then God. You, put, you put the oil on it, and, and, it, it was, and you went to bed with it. You slept with it. It was the greatest thing ever. I remember – uh, oiling it up, and I probably put too much oil on it. Probably ruined the darn. Th- I mean, I just. I but it was my glove, and I loved and I and I loved to play catch. And my I, I could always remember. It, oddly enough, one of my favorite things. It, you would think, what's that got to do with baseball? When when I would come home from school, and my mom would have meat out, because I knew that meant Dad was going to grill when he got home, and that meant while he was grilling, when he would close the lid. He and I would play catch. That was my favorite thing to do. And I remember that like it was yesterday. Well, Jimmy, I'm going to tell you something, and this is a little bit sad. A lot lot of sad. You had a dad to play catch with. I didn't. Uh, my dad left when uh, I was mom was pregnant with me, and I didn't have anybody to play catch with. That's why I had to play with myself. Or I had to, uh, you know, go get a bunch of town kids together, and we come from a small town. And I miss that. And then mom remarried when I was about six. And but he was a, we lived on a farm and uh, we were farmers and you know he has to work and so the time he'd get home it'd be dark and so I didn't have a dad to play with and so I am very glad and that was part of it. Remember we'd take you to the first game or play catch with you. That was your time with your dad and I miss that. And uh, some people said, uh, you know, Tom, you you sometimes you get a little depressed. Well. Let me tell you something. That's one of the reasons I'm depressed. Well, well, that is sad. I, and I, I, you, that goes on a lot of places, and you know that. And that is a sad part of it. There's a lot of moms out there that have played a lot of catch with kids, and that's awesome. Some kids uh, have the opportunity to have friends that are involved in it and find their passion that way. But some way or another, and this is what – you know, it's, it's interesting that your story on that will lead us in this direction. Interestingly enough, it's the inner passion that you have for something sometimes that drives you to try to be really good at what you do or try to be the best in some degrees. Look at yourself. Did you need uh, – now, again, we're going way back and times have changed. I'm not going to be that guy who doesn't want to act like times haven't changed. But the reality of it is, did you need uh, – training and lessons at that time to do all this stuff no you just try to be the best you can now the, this is where i think some people lose sight of reality and again I, this is all opinion right the, the reality is this how good a player at any sport could tom pile have been today with the weightlifting, the the agility training the hitting lessons the pitching lessons the playing on teams that get showcased in the summer and in the fall and go play in front of you how good a player could tom pile have been well, just the aluminum bat alone would make you a lot better ball player. We had one bat, and, and it had a nail in it, one of those big nails, and it had the black electric tape around it, and it weighed about 410 pounds. It was top-heavy, and, and when you were little, you were lucky to even lift it. But today they have all the equipment. It's unbelievable. See, I opened up, after I retired, I opened up with a partner, Mike Yates, a hitting facility down in Marina, Illinois. We bought a building, and we put in eight cages, and that's the first time I met you, Jim, was down there. And I'll throw you a little bone. Uh, Most guys came in there and were 
teaching, you know, they were coaching. And to their defense, you know, they're not coaches, and they gave their time. And But a lot of them didn't know what they were doing. And I saw you coach and teach hitting and your defense. I like the way you did it. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of the philosophies that you had. And uh, you did a tremendous job with it. And you dedicated a lot of your time and effort to youth baseball. But it's a different uh, it's a different game today. It's a different uh, deal. And um, see, I'm a, I'm a guy we were talking about last night. I went to see a friend of mine that's ill, and uh, we were talking about uh, how today you play soccer and that's all you do, or you play baseball and that's all you do, and you play football and that's all you do. Well, I have never in all of my years and 54 seasons of sports I coached, you know, some of them overlapped. I'm not, I didn't coach that in 54 years. But I have never told a kid he couldn't play another sport. Matter of fact, I encouraged it and liked it because it's a different deal. I, I love football. I love basketball. I love baseball. I mean, uh, you know, I, I like to watch hockey. I think I would have played it, except I couldn't skate. I could roller skate, but I couldn't get on the ice skates. I don't know why I never was any good at it, but I think I would have loved ice uh, hockey because you hit people, and I love to hit people yeah, back in the day, and I love football practice just to go out and unload on somebody and take out your frustration because I'd ask a girl out on Friday. She wouldn't go, so I'd go out there and take out my frustration on somebody's body. Yeah, you know, it's funny. You brought up the bats. Now, I think equipment is no doubt a big part of the 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 fifteen billion dollar industry. You know, thinking about the glove thing. I mean, I I, I think my my son's probably had a new glove almost every year. Like, and, and it wasn't. Uh, there's no joy. It's like, okay, what are we going to get now? That it's just interesting how things have changed. And again, I. I I'm not going to sit here and downplay how important the training is. If you really want to be good at something, I, I say this all the time, why why are we going to bag on sports? Now, if you want to be that guy and wants to, oh, the good old days and all that, I get that. And, again, I, I'm with you, okay? I'm with you. I didn't have any hitting lessons or any pitching lessons when I was a kid. Now, I was an average player at best. Now, would I have been any better with those? I don't know. But it, it's that old argument, too, where people say, well, Babe Ruth couldn't have played today. And I say, well, what do you mean Babe Ruth couldn't have played today? Well, look at these guys. They're bigger, faster, stronger. I said, you don't think Babe Ruth would have been bigger, faster, stronger if he was born today? Babe Ruth could do something that nobody else could do in a time. And, and, and you're telling me that if, well, he wouldn't have. I go, how do you know what he would have done or wouldn't have done? So that's a silly argument. But the point of the matter is this. You could take a lot of good players from back in the day and you could say, well, you know, this is always this argument, right? Well, uh, I had Matt Holliday's mom on a show, and she was very gracious with her time. And Matt Holliday's wife, we did a Mother's Day special, and we talked. And she talked about when Matt was a kid, and Matt, you know, he played in Little League. He didn't travel around all over the country and play. And I say this, but he did a lot of training with his dad, did his own stuff. So there's always been some sort of training and stuff like that. But again, so if Matt Holliday was born today. Are you going to tell me that he would just play in Little League and not do all this stuff? No. In, in fact, let's look at Matt Holliday. Matt Holliday's own son is playing organizational baseball at a young age for a good organization and traveling around and doing all this stuff. So it is just the change that this has become what it is. Now, the hope is that the kids are enjoying themselves while they're doing it. Now, 
I, I would say this. I can think back, and I'd love to hear your think on, take on this, Tom. I remember I had no more fun in my whole life than Sandlot Baseball. There was a, I mean, it's funny, I, I, you know, people are going to think, oh, you know, what are you painting a picture for us here like the movie? I, we had a sandlot and we played baseball in it and it was our thing. And the, 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 the base lanes were wore out in the grass from us running on them. We didn't have slight, I mean, they were wore out from us running on them and we had a tree that was a foul ball and we, there was a, a, a an edge of a fence that was the foul ball on the right. There was an alley. It was on one half of the block, and if you hit it over the over the alley, it was a home run. We had our own, and I'm telling you, we lived for it, and we did it all day, every day, and I miss it. Well, there's no question, and it's ironic that you said that. Every town had their different foul balls areas, and uh, over a roof, a home run, you know, those type of things. And wiffle ball, especially wiffle ball. Oh, you, yeah. Wiffle ball, you, you definitely had some boundaries. But, Jim, it was so wonderful. And, and you're out there competing. That's what, when you learn how to compete. And you, as you well know, everything in life is competition to a degree. It's winning. It's losing. I mean, you want to talk about a marriage? To get a girl to marry you like I did is competition. I, I was out there competing, thinking of every way to get Kay, you know, and I was lucky enough to get her. But it's competition at an early age and success. Everybody wants success. And so you went out, and if you could hit the ball better than somebody else, my God. Now, the girls didn't look at you. I was hoping girls would come out and look at us. But they weren't there, and that wasn't the point. You wanted to hit the ball better than anybody else, and that was part of it. You wanted to field the ball better, and especially in roundies or workup, because if you didn't field the ball, you didn't get, get up there and hit. And then you'd throw up the ball, a rock, and hit it with a wood bat. I had a brand-new wood bat when I was about in the eighth grade, and all I did was throw up rocks and hit them over the ro- on the roads a double, over the roads a triple, and over the ditch was a home run and play it by the hour just by myself. And um, so, But I could throw a rock up and hit it because I did it every day all the time. I used to run some uh, batting practice things down there at Marine, and I one of the drills I would have, believe it or not, was throw up a ball and hit it. And you'd be surprised. I'm talking about eighth graders, seventh graders that can't even throw up a ball and hit it. And then I'm asking them to hit a pitched ball. You, you, when you're teaching those type of kids, you got a long way to go. Well, I can tell you that, you know, here again, this is bringing back some unbelievable memories of how much fun we had. And then I so as I fast forward and I think about, OK, where are we at today? We've done, we've tried to do some initiative type things on this sh- particular show. And one of the things that I suggested and, and some people have done it and they've contacted me and said, you know what? We started doing it and our kids had a blast. I think it's a movement that we could do. And that's this. Not everybody's like this, and I sure hope, and there are towns, and, 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 and especially smaller towns and things, where that, this stuff still does go on. But the problem is, with the change in our world, you don't see kids leave their house and they all meet somewhere and play baseball. It's typically driven by the parents. And what, what happens is, and Coach Hendrickson, I know you know Coach Darren Hendrickson very well, he says it all the time. What we have is a lot of sports going on, but they're organized sports. What we need is more unorganized sports. So what I simply asked people to do last year was, okay, I get it. 
So you're not just going to... And again, I, I don't live like I lived when I was a kid. So my, my kids, realistically, at the age I was doing it, they can't just leave and go to the... It's just not realistic for them. It, I would have to take them, okay? So that's fine. So I said this. I said, listen, it, could to your point, if they're not using their thumbs and on a video game, would they do it? I don't know. But if we really want to lead them where they need to go, and let's face it, at the end of the day, sometimes you have to do that. Why not? You're doing it anyway, right? You're a coach. You're scheduling practices. You're doing all this. Why not schedule an unorganized practice? And I challenged people to do one a month. And some people are like, Jim, we had so much fun with it. We now do one a week. And it was simply this. Bring them. Drop them off. Leave. Bring them. Drop them off. Leave. And, and the stories of what people found when they come back were amazing. They had their own rules. They were doing their own things, doing all this. It, well, if we leave, they, somebody might get hurt. Or well, I, I, yeah. So be it. Let well, them get a lot, hurt. Of, a lot of things happen. But there was a lot of motivation. You brought it up when you were young. I mean, you learned how to motivate yourself. I mean, who wants to make outs? Who doesn't want to make plays? Everybody enjoys it. You learn how to deal with failure. I remember not being – I remember, like, not making a play or striking out and everybody laughing or whatever. You know what? I, I learned how to deal with it. That's part of life. That, that helped me learn. Now, listen, now I understand. And it also taught you didn't like striking out, so you didn't strike out. Well, that's right. I did something about it. So there was a lot of things to it. But, you know, you look at it now and you say, okay, so now what happens? Well, we show up. We got – we got it, it, we got the three hundred dollar bats. We got five dollar baseballs. We got a bucket of them, not one or two like we had. We got a bucket of them. We got all this new catchers. Shoot, I remember we were lucky to have a catcher's mask. You know, well, and that's why it's a billion dollar industry. These gloves are good ones. Back when I was coaching, three four hundred now. Well, it was. 250 to 300 when I was coaching. A bat went 250. I don't even know what they cost now. 400? And then they only last so long, and you got to go get a new one. I mean, it, it it's expensive. Baseball is an expensive sport. You also need a bigger area. So that's part of it. A basketball, they got goals all over the place. Just buy a basketball, you can go play. Same thing with soccer. It's not as expensive. And I think that's why in some of the other countries uh, throughout the world, they play soccer, and that's the number one sport. But baseball is a purity game. You know, uh, soccer, it's, I'm not saying it's not pure, but you, if you can run and if you can kick and if you've got a few skills, you can play. In baseball, you've got to do a lot of different things, and it's harder, and it's harder to be good. And if you want to be good, you've got to to play and practice and if you're one of the better players you go on the select teams is is the select team better than a little league like you mentioned who knows if little league does the job and you have fun and you enjoy it then play it if if your select team is your thing then you go to it now i'm a fan of both see i'm a fan of just playing i don't care what you play where you play or when you play play as long as you play yeah. as long as you play and getting back to a black eye in my neighborhood if you didn't have a black eye a cut tongue or a little scar someplace then then you weren't really uh out there competing 
I mean, we used to play baseball, basketball. Every day it was a different sport at a different time. Then you'd buy the horse. You'd go get the horse weeds. You pull them out of the ground, and you throw them. And you play play like uh, you're uh, in Africa. You're a Maui warrior. And you'd say, here I am, tutupapapukakaka. And you'd throw that spear and uh, at, at each other. Now, I was out playing when I was in the third grade, and I got hit in the lip. And I left a scar, and I'm bleeding like a stuck hog. And Mom says, uh, we're going to the doctor, little you know, little family doctor. And I said, oh, no, 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 we're not going. I'm all right. Well, I didn't want the shot, and I didn't want the stitches. So we didn't go. 20 minutes later, I'm laying there with a bandage on my lip. And 20 minutes later, uh, I'm going out the door. Mom said, where are you going? I said, I'm going back down there and play. Went down and played. It wasn't there 30 seconds. I get hit with a spear on the other side of the lip. And now it looks like I've got two semicircles on my uh, lip and it's still there. No, you had to come away with a scar, a black eye, a missing tooth. You had to come back with something or you weren't a human being. Oh, yeah, the marks of the, the, the battle wounds of victory and defeat sometimes. I, you know, and again, I, I, it sounds like we're, we're dogging on the new age. I, I don't know that we are. I think it is what it is. And, you know, you coach some really good players, and you, you came in at a time where, you, you know, you would get kids and you would have to build them from the ground up. And then towards the end, I know you probably started to get some players that showed up, and they were pretty good, and you were no dummy. You knew who those kids were out doing extra, and maybe they were hitting with somebody or throwing with somebody. Um, you know, you look back and think about this. I'm going to ask you to be honest. Who was harder to coach, the kid that you had to build all the way from the ground up or the kid that showed up that was ready to go? Well, you know, I really can't distinguish between either one. The guy that was uh, – you know, they, they all could play a little bit because uh, they liked the game. But in 98 was my last year, and that team were uh, – the juniors were on a select team, the sophomores on a select team, and the seniors were on a select team. Now, the seniors, I remember they went all over the place, Alabama, Mississippi playing the best, and that did not hurt them a bit. They were good. They were prepared, and that's part of why they were pretty decent. Now, that doesn't mean we didn't have to keep teaching them fundamentals and teaching them the game because you got to keep going over it and over it and over it if you want to be good. But uh, I'm, I'll, I'll give special teams a big uh, plus there because the parents did a good job, but that costs a lot of money. You, when you travel and stay at hotels and motels, and, and they had the best equipment, uh, one time a parent came to me and he said, Tom, what can I do for my kid? I said, you can do three things. One, don't coach him. Two, buy him the best equipment you can afford. And if you can't afford it, we will raise some money for him and get him the best glove you can have. And let me tell you why I did that, Jim. In 1981, when I took over the program, this kid was playing shortstop. My best athlete plays short. But he's making errors. I couldn't believe it. This guy's good, and but he's making all these errors. Finally, one day, about the second, third week of practice, I'm out shagging, you know, talking to the kids and mingling stuff, and I borrowed his glove. Well, my God, it was the worst glove that a guy could get. So I go see his dad. His dad uh, liked to uh, watch the games, and after one game, I went to him, and I said, hey, 
can you get your son a new glove? He said, sure, why? I just got him one last year. I said, well, he broke it in wrong or something because he cannot feel with – I can't even feel with that glove. And so he got him a new glove, and then everything – it helped a bunch. So from then on, every ball player that played for me, I checked their glove out and made sure – that if their glove wasn't decent or if they couldn't field right, we got him a, a, a better one. And uh, But like you say, boy, it costs a lot of money today, like four or $500 for a ball glove. That's, uh, to me, ridiculous. I, again, the, the equipment, and you know what's funny is now I'm sitting here, and these stories are great because they take you back to your childhood. I remember my first baseball bat, and my dad took me down to the local sporting goods store. It was a little place there in Madison called Victory Sports. And uh, he was friends with the guy that owned it, it a gentleman named Sam Dimas, who was really active in the in, in in our town. He did all the all the baseball, everything. You know, he did did, did a lot of fun stuff for us. And uh, my dad walks in, and there's 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 maybe twenty bats in there, right? And they're in a like in a trash can, like a I remember I think it was a Yankees trash can. It's a Yankee emblem on the side, isn't it? And uh, uh, they were sticking out of there. And so I look and my dad says, well, you know, let's go look at some bats here. And uh, I walk in, and I immediately grab a wood bat. And I'm, I'm, I'm got it, and I think I'm staying usual in there, you know, and the whole bit. And uh, my, my dad says, put that back. And he, I'll never forget, it was a white Dudley. That was my first aluminum bat. And I, I just remember being so depressed because I had an aluminum bat. I wanted a wood bat. <laughs> I mean, how backwards is that? Well... The reason they went to aluminum, one reason to save money, because uh, you break a wooden bat. You know, I heard one time that uh, major leaguers in practice and everything, they go through 100 bats a year. Now, it's hard to fan them, but that's what I heard. But aluminum, my God, it's a different game. Somebody asked me, and I read an article, and I don't know if it's true or not, but they said, um, what difference does an aluminum have to wood? And uh, one guy said, uh, at least 15 feet, if you hit the same ball with the wood and metal, 15 feet, and at least, least 30 points on your average. And and But you can see why. You can hit a ball on the fist and at a break of it would bat, and it won't go anywhere. But uh, aluminum, you can still muscle it out even if hit it on the fist. Oh, I would say there's no doubt that the biggest difference are the hits that you get with an aluminum bat versus a wood. Now, I do find it interesting that a lot of guys, you think the distance on the home run thing, I think it's more prevalent when they're younger. But I will say this, if you listen to the older guys, like the guys that are playing the highest level, man, if they square one up with these new wood bats, with the, the made of the maple, the ones that are expensive with the pro-grade wood, they'll tell you. Man, I you know it's not as much of a difference in distance as you would think. Although I think some people would argue that, but but either way, I just remember, like I said, and just from a pure love of baseball and what I remember it being as a kid, I was I was not happy that I got an aluminum bat. But you know, I I grew to understand it, and as I got older, I obviously got it. But I do find it odd though that um, you know now that I'm just a parent now, my son that plays in the college pro and college prep is what I call it. It's travel baseball, program baseball for, for whatever term you want to use. But the bottom line is in the summer when he's not playing high school, he plays for a team that allows him to showcase his skills. So I call it college prep, baseball, travel, whatever you want to call it. They use wood. They use wood. Well, and they play against teams that use aluminum, but they want to be able to show these guys that they can swing a wood bat. Now, right, wrong, or indifferent, I don't really care, but 
I find it odd when I was coaching the last couple years, we would play in one wood based one wood bat tournament, and the kids loved it. They couldn't wait. That was the highlight of our season the last couple of years I coached was when we played in a tournament and everybody swung wood as kids. And I will say this, it was more like a real baseball game. A lot of defense being played. You felt like kids could, uh, you felt like kids could pitch and not get taken advantage of. It was really cool. Well, I, you know, wood bat, if you square a ball up, it's going to go, whether it's wood, aluminum, or uh, a broom handle. You, it's just a question of how you hit the ball and where you hit the ball. But uh, getting back to youth baseball, yeah, it's changed so much, and, and I kind of feel sorry for the kids in a way because they can't go out and play. They just can't go out and get a group. My daughter lives out in uh, Arlington, and when the kid, she's got two boys. And when they were real young, they're in the house playing. I said, Dobby, why aren't the boys out playing? Oh, Dad, we can't let them go out there. I said, what are you talking about? You know, there's a park right down the way. It had a little basketball hoop and uh, swing sets and stuff. Well, we got to go with them. And I said, why? She said, are you crazy? Mine, this is a different uh, era than when you, when you played back in Winchester, town of 1700 in the Midwest and farm community where you didn't lock the doors. You knew everybody. And uh, if somebody stole something, you'd scold them, or, and which was rare. And then you'd give them, you know, the farmers would give them stuff. So you didn't have uh, uh, robberies. You didn't have the drug problem. You didn't have all that stuff. You didn't have anything to do except play ball and go swimming in the creek. You didn't swim in a swimming pool. You went down to the creek, you know, and, and you swam with the crawdads and the fish and, and stuff like that. But it was uh, you, you put a rope in a, on a tree, you climb trees. You had to uh, call your neighbor to get you out of the tree because you so you go up real high, but you couldn't get back down when you got short legs and couldn't reach the branch. So we did all those things. Matter of fact, I'm writing a book and I'm finished it. They're ditties, and a lot of that is about my early uh, youth, uh, about my grade school days, my high school days, my army days, my college days, and then my professional days, and then just a lot of things. They got 222 ditties. They're about a page and a half long, and and I love doing them because, and I recommend that for all you people out there that. Um, and, and it also going to leave something for my grandkids to read about my life and my history. And so I did it for that reason. I did it to get my mind off things. Uh, I was under a little stress, and somebody recommended, why don't you tell about your life story? So I wrote these little ditties. I, I just typed them out, what I remember. I didn't put grammar in them or punctuation or just the thoughts. And now I'm going through and I'm editing them. And, uh, man, it's good therapy, and it's really a lot of fun. And these things I just told you, Jim, uh, uh, some of those are ditties when I was a kid. It is amazing. I, you send them out when you, when you come up with, like, a new couple paragraphs and, or, or short stories. And I enjoy reading them because it does take me back. And, again, that was kind of the inspiration for why I wanted to do this because I started, you know, thinking about, okay, we wanted to talk about this article. We wanted to look at all these types of things. And I, wanted to, and I, I didn't want it to come across as – Oh, you know, and again, I use the term the good old days. Well, you know, what do they say? The good old days weren't always good and tomorrow ain't as bad as it seems. That's a Billy Joel line for you there. But the, it is true. I mean, I think back to my memories and I wonder, 
And again, I, I've said I'm going to do this, and he's reluctant to do it because he's nothing like my my older son, my 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 middle son. He's more like me. So he's a little. I'm not shy now, but I was when I was his age. He's identical to me. I've often wanted to get him on here and ask him on the air, how much fun have you had playing baseball? Because here's what I can tell you. Unequivocally, I can tell you that I had a blast playing baseball when I was his age, younger. I, I mean, before he got to high school, because I know when you get to high school, things are different. But before you get, before, I, I would love to know from him, before you played one inning of high school baseball, how much fun did you have playing baseball as a kid? I would love to know his honest answer, because I had a blast, and I never had any of this stuff. Now, the reason I say this is because, now, I'm 47, okay, so I I think I look at everything he does now, and I wish I would have done it. I would have loved to play baseball for the St. Louis Pirates and go work out and hit with Rick Strickland and throw with Danny Chambliss or Brett Huber or, or go to P3 and throw with Brian DeLunis. Or I would have loved to go to see E.J. Jones at next level and get faster, bigger, and stronger. I would have loved it. Oh, my God. I think about how good a player I was and was not, and I think, man, I could have been better. You see, Jim, one time I told you, I said, I'd love to have you play for me. And you said, well, Coach, I wasn't all that great in high school. I was pretty good in college, but uh, I got bigger and stronger. I said, no, that's not why I wanted you. You, I can tell by the way you're talking, you love the game. You show me a guy that loves the game, and I'll make him I'll, – I'll help him hit. I'll help him field. The number one thing, why do we have so much success at the state level and at the, at the tougher levels? Because I prided myself in getting the tough kid. If everything's equal, I'll take that tough kid because he, he's been through the ropes. He knows how to handle adversity, and we'll make him better. And a guy like you that's enthusiastic and loves the game and loves sports, that's the guy I want on my team. Well, I, again, I think there's there's something to be said for all of it. And if if you find that perfect storm, if you find that thing that fits for you, I suggest you do it. I've said it once, and I'll say it again. I, I don't know that this is one of those – I'm not going to call it an argument. I don't know that this is a topic that there's a right and wrong to. I just think it's different. You're going to have people that are going to argue on one side or the other based on their own experiences. So, you know, again, I, I can only use myself as the example because I've – I lived in a different time, and now I'm knee-deep in, in what we would call the new world, right? So I grew up where yeah, I had none of that, and now I'm knee-deep in it to know better. And I can tell you that personally—now, again, this is why I think it's all personal choice. I would have loved it. And I think a, a, a guy like Tom Pyle, if, if, you know, here he is. He's retired. He, he was a tremendous coach. He was a good athlete when he was young. He probably looks at some of these kids today and the things they're doing. And Tom, I can't imagine you don't look and think, man, if I could have done that, holy cow. I, I, I just I have a hard time believing that you don't think the same way. Well, you you are what you are and you do what you can do. And sure, they're they're a lot more advanced and they're better. They're bigger, stronger, and they have better equipment and better opportunities. But at that level and at that time. All you wanted to do is produce and be good, and naturally it's all different. 
you you almost allude to two things. One, Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth could hit a baseball today. He could hit a baseball in 1790. This guy could hit. He only hit 342 for 22 seasons. Is that all he did? He <laughs> averaged 342, and the leading hitter in both leagues will not hit 342 this year. He did that for an average of 22 years. And one more thing, Jim. Baseball, love it. But your kids, get them involved in something. I don't care if it's dramatics, which I'm a big believer in, and I was in dramatics. I don't care if it's orchestra, band, pom-pom, cheerleader, soccer, baseball, basketball, hockey. Get them involved in something outside of extracurricular. I don't care if it's a car club or a motorcycle club. Get them involved in something that they like and give them an opportunity to get better because it'll make them a better and more well-rounded person. Me personally, and I agree with Jim, I love to play sports. I uh, Every day I talk sports at lunch. I go out with some friends, and we talk sports. And, and I'd say 80% of my wife, I'll get home, she said, well, what'd you talk about? Sports. Well, did you talk about anything else? I said, no, honey, we talked about sports. And then we start talking a little bit about politics, and we get off of it real quick because, in my opinion, uh, we've got a lot of problems in politics. Oh, we got a lot of problems. But, you know, you're right. Sports is something that, if you love it, it seems like it consumes you a little bit more. The Babe Ruth argument always kills me. Can you imagine? He hit 340. And he hit for power. We talked today about how these guys aren't as good because they try to hit for power and their average suffers. Well, his average didn't suffer. He was pretty good. Um, but can you imagine Babe Ruth today as a player with all that they know, all the training, all the – you know, it's funny, though. I say that, and I wonder, would he have been as good? I don't know. See, that's the thing. You don't really know. That's what makes these conversations so great. But it's, if you're looking for a black and white on this thing, I, I can't give you one. Like, uh, what, what I will say is any – guy that's involved in baseball whether and again when we're talking about the business side of it so let's look and that's all we're going to cover today so let's just cover the business side of it and this is where i'll finish and, and again i'll get tom's thoughts on what i'm about to say and, and let him say his piece on the way out here it is in a nutshell for me when it comes to that business side i don't care if let i'll cover equipment first i i have no idea i can i can sit here and argue with you that a guy that it's a really good fielder could field with a $90 glove as well as he can field with a $400 glove. I can sit here and, and, and not have an argument with you if a guy can hit with a $100 uh, 3-year-old aluminum bat or a brand new $400 aluminum bat. I have no idea if 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 the $140 wood bat makes you a better player than the $40 wood bat. Uh as far as the, the where you play, I I have no idea if playing travel ball or select ball is, is going to make you uh, a, a better player. I can't tell you that because I think it's a lot of who you are. Coaches, coaches that, that, that charge you to train them and work them and stuff like this. Hey, listen, as far as I'm concerned when it comes to everything, there has to be something personally vested in it from you. But I will tell you this, not an equipment company, not a trainer, not a coach, not a director of a program should ever promise you that they're going to guarantee you anything. Again, hear me on this. Not a bat company, 
not a glove company, not an equipment company, not a coach, not a trainer. And I'm, when I say trainers, I mean, if you find a hitting coach that says, you come to me, you're going to hit 400. Or you find a pitching coach that says, you come to me and you're going to be good. You come to me and I'm going to do this. Or a, or, or a travel program that says, you come here, you're going to get drafted. Anybody guarantees you anything in this game, for sure, you turn around and you walk out the door. I want the guy that looks at you and tells you the truth and says, listen, here's what we're going to do for you. We're going to teach you how to play the game. We're going to help you become the blessed player you can be. But if, but you got to want it too, and we need some athleticism. We need some God-given ability. We need all this stuff, and we need a little bit of luck. We need all this, and God will, and things will work out for you. But I can't promise you anything because there are no guarantees. So stay away from that, the, the, the false prophets, if they will. Stay away from all that. That's my opinion on this business part. Do not... Spend your money if you're looking for a guarantee. That's a waste of money. If you want to spend your money in this game of baseball to allow your son or daughter, or forget baseball, the, the article is about sports in general. I don't care what sport it is. If you want to spend your money on equipment, training, coaching, travel programs, anything you want to do, and let's not, and again, we're focusing on money today, but we also spend our life. We give away family time to do this. We give away other things that we could be doing. Sometimes academics suffer, and academics should be the most important thing in all of it. The reality of it is if you're going to do it because you want to do it and you want to let the chips fall where they may and you just want to give somebody a chance, I'll be, go for it. And you got to have the, the, the means, too. Go for it. But, gosh, do not do it assuming that just by doing it anything's guaranteed. Well, Tom, your thoughts? Yeah. Oh no, that's that's great. Uh, just what you said. Don't ever think just because you got a four hundred dollar bat that you're going to start high school, or you're going to play college ball. There's all kinds of different levels that you can reach. You can reach be one of the best uh, little league players or a best select player. But by the time you get to high school, there's other guys that may be caught up with you physically and mentally, and maybe they're as big as you or bigger, and so you you got to compete all the way through, and it means a lot of time. It depends on what level you want to reach. If you want to play high school ball at Eversville, you better be good because it's competitive and there's a lot of good players out there, and you got to pay the price. I'm going to finish with a quick story at Marine. I had a mother come up to me, and I got out of the uh, teaching. I, I, I love to teach hitting, and that's why I did it, and I opened up that place in Marine. But the thing of it is, a, a mother came to me and said, Tom, will you teach my boy how to hit because I want him to make the freshman team in high school? I said, no, I'm out of the business. He, she, and then she, well, be honest with you, she begged me, and then she started crying, and then she had me. I mean, yeah, I'll do it. Let's do it today once they start crying. So the kid, now this was the kid. He came. He wasn't that good. But he had a little bit about him. He was real quiet and shy and didn't have, wasn't that great. But he worked at it that one day. And I said, I'll look at him for the first day, and then I'll let you know. Well, I liked him. I liked the kid. I liked his attitude. So I worked with him for about, oh, I don't know, five, ten lessons. Then I said, I'm done with you, but I want to tweak you every once in a while. Now, here's what you got to do. Twice a week, you got to hit. Not that I wanted the money because it only gave us $10, and he'd be down there two or three hours. And how many swings are you going to get 
at a pitching machine down there at our place in two or three hours. And he had to hit with somebody else, and he got somebody else to hit with him. He did that twice a week on his own. And then I'd go down and tweak him like a carburetor doesn't run right. You got to tweak him, keep him running right. And I'd go down and work with him. This kid started killing the ball. I mean, my God. And he, he was left-handed. He had some speed. And, he, and I said, bunt. You, and, and learn how to push bunt, learn how to drag bunt, and that's going to help your average more. Well, here's the story, and then I'll let it go. He started as freshman, led off, led the team in hitting. He started varsity as a sophomore. He kept hitting twice a, day, twice a week, and he got better and better, and he got bigger and stronger. He started as a sophomore in the varsity. He made his senior year All-Metro, which is a great honor, 2.4 million people. He made All-Metro. He went on to college. He started in college uh, at a Division I school. Now, here's a kid that wasn't that good. I'm just telling the youth people out there listening. He wasn't that good. He wanted to go to the next level in high school, the next level in college, and he became a star in college. Now, you can do it, but you got to want it. Well, the want is, is the big thing. It, it's funny. I think about some of the great people we've had on here, and they allude to it, and they talk about it. Rick Strickland, who's as good a hitting guy as you're going to find in the Midwest, he says all the time, can I teach you how to hit? Yeah. I can help you learn how to swing the bat the right way. I can do a lot of things. But what I can't teach you how to do is lay off a 59-foot curveball. Okay? That takes a little moxie. takes a little mental. It takes a little approach. takes a little athleticism. Okay? That's a tough one. Well, tell Strickland, then track the ball a little better. I'll give him a little tip. <laughs> you know, again, I just – some of the stuff is really good. I, you know, I, I've – I've talked to a lot of people that say a lot of things that, that make sense. And sometimes I hear things and it makes me shake my head. But the one thing that, that, that will never change is this. There are no guarantees in life. None, zero. Zero. I mean, you can look at it on the biggest stage, how many prospects were supposed to be Hall of Famers and they don't work out. How many kids? If you're involved in this game of youth baseball and you're going to tell me that you've never seen a kid at 10 or 11 or 12 years old that you thought was going to be a stud, and then when he got to high school, you sat around and went, what happened? It happens every day. There are no guarantees. There's a lot that goes into this. And the adverse of that, a little kid that can hardly pick up a bat in sixth grade, seventh grade, now all of a sudden he gets to be a freshman, sophomore, he gets bigger, more physical, and then that kid becomes real good. So there's two two streets to that. Well, Steve Springer's been on the show a couple times, and he always says it's the it's the it's a late blooming sport. Baseball is, you know, I don't think pe- people don't realize. I don't think that you know strength, both mentally and physically, play a big part in this game. And sometimes that's that happens for some kids a lot later than others. And and it, you know to to uh, to dismiss kids at such an early age at such a hard game that revolves so much around failure. Uh, you know, sorry, but maybe we should be looking at how we approach that. So I appreciate Steve's opinion on that for sure. Well, I'm going to butt in here again, Jim. You just brought another point. you got to accept failure. And I think sometimes the kids, they get turned off because, the, you know, they strike out or uh, hit a pop-up or don't hit the ball hard or something, and they fail. So they kind of get down on themselves, and, and uh, they don't progress and get better. But what you got to do is expect failure but overcome it. And that's another great thing about baseball and sports, adversity. It teaches you 
to overcome adversity. It teaches you to be a better person. And the friendships and the camaraderie that you develop are priceless. I mean, I still, my best friends are people I played sports with. And uh, it, because you go through the wars with them, you, go, you don't want to let your buddy down. It's got all kinds of good things involved in a sports and or or anything for that matter as long as you're doing something constructive you know i think i'll end with this as far as today's show i think um is it a 15 billion dollar business sure it is is it worthy of being a 15 dollar bill well i guess it is i will say this you can get as much out of this as you want without spending a dime but i'm also not going to sit here and tell you that you can get everything you want out of this without spending some money Again, I think it's all personal choice. I think it's your personal situation, what you really want out of it. We all talk a good game, you know, hey, I just want this, I just want that. Maybe in the back of our mind we have some ulterior motives. I think what it comes right down to it, though, you have to be realistic about what you do, why you do it, and how you're going to go about doing it. So that's my final piece on this today. I want to thank Coach Tom Pyle. Coach Pyle is going to be the recipient of our uh, of a rope trainer. And, again, I uh, – Tom himself is, is kind of removed from the game, but he has so many people underneath him that are still involved in the game. I'm going to allow Tom to, to gift his rope trainer to, uh, to somebody that he knows that is really involved in the game of baseball. Uh, I, what I'll do is I'll have Tom and, and who he gives the rope trainer to on as guests in the future. Let them talk a little bit about how they used it, how they felt like it helped them, if they feel like it's something that they would recommend, and, and go from there. As, like I said, as, as, if John Smoltz is going to take time out of his Hall of Fame speech to bring up an arm epidemic in this country. I think we all should stand up and take notice and Coach Pyle's shaking his head over here because, you know, here's a guy that I guarantee you, that, you know, it probably I would guess his, his thought on this is I just can't believe how all these kids' arms hurt all the time. We're doing something wrong and we need to fix it. And I know that Chris Verna, John Smoltz, and of course Earl Perrin and all the gang over at theropetrainer.com are interested in trying to help you guys with that. So I'll be interested to see who Tom gives this to. Chances are I'm going to know who it is. So I'm going to be real excited to have him on and, and, and hear how it helped him. Uh, on that note with the rope trainer, let's go over now to Kurt McNabb and hear from him and his rope report as he brings it to you every week from Dirtbag Baseball Nation. Always interested to hear what Kirk has to say. His passion for the game is second to none, maybe to the guy sitting across from me. It, it would be a close second. But other than that, I love to hear from Kirk every week. Let's take it over to him now. Hey, Dirtbags, Kirk McNabb, and it's great to be back with you for another week of the rope report. Before I get into the, this week's episode, I want to update everyone that Earl, Todd, Scott, and Chris from the Rope Trainer are all safe in Florida and okay from last week's Hurricane Irma. Very happy for you and your families that all of you are safe and sound. Now, back to the Rope Report. In the past week, I've talked to parents, players, and independent baseball people about everything from the seriousness of arm injuries continuing to increase in youth athletes to I've watched the videos of the rope trainer, and I'm still not quite sure about how or if I should get one. And I've even had one in regards to a dad contacting me about the fact that his son has a rope trainer already and wasn't really enjoying it. So with him, I talked about making sure his son was using it correctly and understanding some of the things like the ropes potentially hitting him when going through his throwing motion. Just great productive conversations with people who are passionate about arm health but really didn't understand how much time and commitment goes into having proper mechanics, a coach or instructor that actually has the knowledge and respect of a proper throwing program, he can teach proper pitching mechanics, and so on. We've all been there. 
We even talked about the fact everybody seems to be throwing for the radar gun these days. And that's just an injury waiting to happen. The creation of bad mechanics happening and simply the recipe for disaster for the mass majority of players. Let's be honest, we probably all throw them for the radar gun and we never throw the same as we usually do. When you're trying to throw the ball through the gun every time and you don't have the mechanics, the physical strength, or the mental toughness to understand that I just want to see how fast I'm throwing today so I can compare it again in a month attitude, bad things are bound to happen. If you have a rope trainer that can be routinely, oh sorry, if you have the rope trainer, you can be routinely doing the recommended throws per day or week based on your age. You're going to learn how to feel the true power within, build up overall body power, strength, conditioning, and it's obvious that you're going to be able to repeat your throwing motion. But it takes time, it takes commitment, and it takes a serious baseball attitude. If you need additional assistance on these things, then reach out to me, like these other people are doing, so we can talk about it. You know you can contact me at info at dirtbagbaseballnation.com, info at dirtbagbaseballnation.com anytime, or call me at 519-836-6369 to discuss anything throwing, pitching, or arm care related. I love talking about it. I love talking about it with anyone who is serious about arm care and arm health. And the conversations are always productive at the end of the day. And that's our goal. I've told everyone before, and I'll tell you again, that Earl and the rest of us are 100% committed to this for every baseball player out there. We are constantly having the rope trainer evaluated by a baseball-related data analysis company. We're presently in the process right now of having the rope trainer compared against the towel to get actual feedback comparisons. We should have more information to provide by early October, which is very exciting for us personally, as well as for all our loyal and new customers. I talk about accountability and being your best and most trusted friends every week. These are little extras that we do so that we can make these commitments to all of you. It should be earned, and that's how we like it. If something we tell you hurts your feelings, that should be our job in order to make you better as a ball player and as a human being, if need be. We want to be a trusted arm care specialist, so that's why we work our tails off at it every day. And that's why we teamed up with the, uh, the rope trainer. Obviously, the rope isn't able to talk, but it will validate whether you're throwing correctly or not. That's why I love it so much. It tells you through feel instead of words, and that's so powerful. If you can get that into your head, it'll start making sense, and you're just going to start going to the next level on your whole game, not just your throwing part of it. You don't need a coach telling you and overloading your head with information that more times than not is wrong. The rope isn't going to treat you like a baby and tell you it's okay when it's not. It forces you to learn to be accountable, just like us, because if you use it properly and diligently, you will feel that power within that I'm talking about. Again, if you don't understand it, reach out to me. Talk to me. Once you learn to feel the power you have within, then you should be motivated to continue to use it accordingly, whether you're on the field, in the bullpen, at a park, or just at home. It is your throwing buddy. I want you to keep telling all your teammates, friends, and family about the Rope Report by Dirtbag Baseball Nation or Kirk McNabb on Youth Baseball Talk and how they can get a rope trainer by going to www 
gottheropetrainer.com now. Be sure to enter Dirtbag5 at checkout so that we know you heard about it here. If you have any questions or comments, please, please, please reach out to me. Anything in regards to throwing, pitching, catching, even hitting, even though we don't talk about it, even hitting, please email me at info at dirtbagbaseballnation.com. I will get back to you. I will discuss it. That is what I love to do. That is what I do. I also want you to keep following and liking us on Facebook and Instagram at Dirtbag Baseball Nation. And you can check out our website at www.dirtbagbaseballnation.com to find out what else we offer. We have all kinds of great things from college recruiting, etc. Obviously, the rope is our number one and it's passion. It's getting it going, getting out to you, helping these arms get healthy, helping their bodies get healthy, helping you understand what it takes to get to that next level. So... Send us photos of you and your teammates or you alone being dirtbags out on that field, in the backyard, in the house, wherever it may be. Being dirtbags, send them to us at info at dirtbagbaseballnation.com and we will post them on our social media. And until next week, you know what we say, let's get dirty. Great stuff as always, Kirk. Really appreciate it. And again, I can't uh, I can't tell you enough how much if it was me, you know, I, I would be listening to what some of these guys have to say because I, I, I am just just so impressed with guys that take time to try to help kids and try to help people better themselves and especially when it comes to health. Again, that's why I'm such a big believer in the rope trainer. Check it out again, ropetrainer.com. Another guy doing all he can to help baseball youth and help these kids, and whether they be young, old, trying to reach their dreams. He works with plenty of professional hitters. You guys hear him each and every week here on Youth Baseball Talk. Let's go over to Justin Stone now with his EliteBaseball.tv training tip of the week. Take it away, Justin. Thanks, Jim. Justin Stone here with the EliteBaseball.tv tip of the week. The tip of the week this week is a challenge. The 100 ground ball challenge. We know in the Midwest here, where a lot of our listeners are, that our baseball good weather days are dwindling. The fall is really the best time of year to be out on the field. Fields are drier, uh, the weather is, is good temperature-wise, and there's not as many players out there trying to use the field on a day-to-day basis. Perfect opportunity for us to get out and practice our defensive fundamentals more. Because when we get inside in the wintertime, everybody's going to hit. Everybody's going to do their pitching lessons. But that time spent on a field is so necessary for us to take into the next season of getting our ground ball, fly ball, defensive fundamentals taken care of. So the 100 ground ball challenge is this. It's an arbitrary number, and it seems 100 ground balls, okay, that, that's fairly easy to do. But you will find when you go out in the air and you work this with a couple players on your team or your son or your daughter, how difficult and taxing taking 100 ground balls is. It's going to spike your heart rate. I've done this with players the first couple times I've taken them out on the field. I know they're going to start to fail at 50 or 60. And literally had one player sit cross-legged on second base one day and started crying because he was just so doggone tired from taking those ground balls. That's a true story. So the 50 or 60 is usually the number that I want you to start with. And here's how I break it down. I'm not going to throw all these 100 ground balls over to first base. But I try to choose a number for a youth player that might be 30. As I got into high school and even into college, I would throw 50 a day across to first base. But I broke everything down in sets of 10. 
I would do 10 ground balls right at me. I would take a break. If I were throwing over to first base in those 10, even if it was not to a real first baseman, I would set up a screen. That would give me an opportunity after the set of 10 to go pick the balls up, regroup, catch my breath, and I go for the next set. The next set of 10, I typically would do by forehands. The next two sets, though, I worked the backhand twice, 20 total ground balls. And the reason is, anytime that we cross our hand across the midline, the brain becomes less accurate in what we're doing on that side of our body. Our brain isn't wired to work that way. So the backhand is, we know, the toughest play for an infielder. So I always work that play twice as much. And the final set of what I would consider the routine ground balls is the slow roller that I'm throwing on the run. So there you have it. You have your sets uh, totaling up to 50 right now. And for most of you, when you're going out and doing this the first time, you're going to be spent at that, part, at that point. The heart rate is going to spike, you're going to be tired, and that's going to be it for you. But really where I felt like this 100 ground ball challenge or routine became a game changer for me, and really what I, did, I feel like determined my ability to get a Division I scholarship was being better with my, than my peers with my glove, because I practiced all the potential plays I was ever going to get in a game thousands of times on my own. So then I, I consider these the non-routine plays. I both did my double plays in that second set of 50, and I don't include those in my, my balls I'm throwing over to first base. So if I threw 50 across the diamond, I could still turn my double plays. But they may be close proximity feeds up the middle. They might be backhand jump throws. And I practice diving over and over and over again. Because again, I never wanted to get a play in a game I hadn't practiced a thousand times in practice. And that's not showboating. That's being prepared for anything you're gonna encounter in a game. And I might only make this play once or twice a year, but you know what? When the game is on the line and I have to make that play, I'm comfortable doing it. And the most important piece about infield play to remember is that every play is unique because of the field conditions, speed of the runner, height of the hop, speed of the ground ball, Every ground ball is truly different. Everyone is unique. And I have to make that instantaneous decision when the ball is hit of what footwork I'm going to use, and the brain has to just react and put myself in an athletic position to make the play. The only opportunity you have of doing that is by doing it thousands of thousands of times in practice. I was lucky to have a stay-at-home mom that our normal routine after breakfast is we go to the field in the summertime and we would take our 100 ground balls. My brother was the first baseman. He was six years older than me as he got down the line and was out of the house. Now my dad was playing first base until I burned his hand and then he would have to come in and hit because my mom was the better first baseman anyway. But that was our routine. We had a lot of fun with it. I got off the field before lunchtime. This will take you about an hour to do if you're doing the, the, the true 100 ground balls. And then we would get off the field then before they were doing the fields for afternoon or evening games. But it's that routine that set me up at the age of seven or eight years old for who I was when I was 22, 23 years old. Because I'd practiced with my glove and my defensive abilities way more than any of my peers. And that really set me up for success in the game of baseball, probably beyond of where I should have played talent-wise. And that's all we're looking to do. Stay in the game, hang around the game as long as we can. And if we can do that beyond what our talent really is, then you can say you had a successful career. And that's where I, I look back at, at my own personal career and I didn't get to play pro ball. And I always knew I was going to be a better coach than I was a player. But I got to play probably longer than I should. It's certainly a higher level than I should have. And I attribute this to the routine I built in the 100 ground ball challenge. There's your challenge. There you have it. Get out. You got about another month if you're in the Midwest. 
or in a northern state, another month on the field, get out and build your own ground ball routine. Until next week, this is Justin Stone with EliteBaseball.tv, and we'll see you on the field. Great stuff, my man. Always appreciate it, and I know our listeners do as well. Happy to have you a part of Youth Baseball Talk, and it means a lot to us to uh, that you take time of your schedule every week to share with us and help us learn a little bit. Uh, another guy that uh, every week tries to uh, tries to add a little something to the mix and always helps us with his thoughts on the game of baseball. He shares his time with us and is eager to answer questions for anybody out there that, that may want to know a little bit more about ba- the game of baseball. Let's go over now from the uh, Blast Motion St. Louis Pirates uh, Ask Rick segment, Rick Strickland. Take it away, Rick. Good morning, Jim. Thanks again for having me on the show uh, to answer some of the great questions that come from the, the podcast audience on a weekly basis. This week's question was one that I was actually addressing with a, uh, a coach this past week, and the question of the week is uh, they have a very – I'm a coach of a very competitive youth team. Poor umpire has affected the outcome of many games over the years. What is the best way for a coach to handle poor umpiring? Um, I think from our perspective and from my perspective, you just come from a conclusion over the years is that at the youth level of umpiring is probably not going to be uh, as good as you would like it to be. Uh, and you have to come to that conclusion. You just really, really, from an umpire perspective, you want them to try to be as consistent as they can from a balls and strike theory, but it's a tough, 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 tough job. I don't think creating an attitude of arguing and yelling at umpires in front of the kids is a good way to handle it. I think what we do on our end is that we try to go and make sure that uh, uh, that our kids are aware that usually it's not the one situation that comes up where a kid uh, – it's a uh, uh, that we lose a ball game because an umpire has made a bad bad mistake uh, with a call. Uh, it's usually a combination of a lot of different things, and usually those things that, that cause us to lose a ball game uh, during a, a seven inning ball game will be things that that are amongst our own creation. For instance, getting the pitch in the strike zone that we can hit—that's an obvious strike that we foul off or that we roll over because of inefficient mechanics. And then all of a sudden, when we foul those two pitches off, we get a two-strike account. And then somebody throws a ball that's a, that's a foot outside, and the umpire calls a strike, and everybody's upset about that, and then they want to blame the umpire for calling them out and that, that, that type of thing. So usually when you look at the things and how they happen, uh, Jim, uh, it's, it's, it's a combination of things. So we always try to point back to the things that we could do better that are really outside of the umpire's control. We never want to put ourselves in a position that, that the umpire can dictate what happens. It's going to happen. They're going to put themselves – it's going to be a situation, close call, that's going to go against you um, from that perspective. But you can't you, – you, you've got to prepare for that. And as a coach, you have to understand that, that those things are going to happen to you. And they're going to continue to happen as long as we have baseball and humans are involved in making the decisions on whether whether uh, on running the ball game. Uh, so we've come to that conclusion. I try to encourage our coaches not to get into arguments uh, with umpires because it really does you no good. And, I think it sends the wrong message to the kids uh, as well. Now, have we gotten in trouble with umpires? Absolutely. Occasionally you run into situations where umpires want to be dictators of the game and, and they're not really uh, uh, willing to, to work with you. And the human, I know we've given those mistakes. But that's the only issue I have is that when you can't talk to an umpire uh, about situations and stuff like that, they give you an attitude, things like that, then those things have to be discussed. If it's not with the umpire, it's got to be with the uh, – uh, the people that actually run run the uh, the associations and the tournaments and stuff like that to make sure that the umpires are there to, to help manage the game uh, and keep it safe and keep it clean and things of that nature. So 
that's my take on umpiring. My biggest take is that we try to eliminate uh, a lot of different components of, of the umpiring factor by, you know, playing the base baseball we can. I don't think in the course of a seven-inning ball game, especially at the youth levels, if your team's out there hitting every ball and catching every ball and making every play and every strike that's, that's thrown for a strike, if they're, they're uh, executing those, then uh, you should be okay. So that's my take on umpiring. Leave them alone. Focus on yourself. Uh, come to the conclusion that umpiring is going to go against you, uh, and it's going to help you too because they're going to make the same calls against the other team. But it all balances out. And the game is, you know, able to advance from that, that perspective. That's what I have this week, Jim. Thanks again for having me on the show. Look forward to next week's question. Thanks. Great stuff, Rick. Really appreciate it. it means a lot to me again that uh, a guy of, uh, of your stature takes the time every week to help us out. It's great stuff as always. Uh, proud of all these guys and, and, and the time they spend, and I hope you guys uh, enjoy it as well. Uh, I want to thank today's guest, Coach Tom Pyle. Um, you know, a guy that's a – I think back to uh, when I was young and the influence that coaches had on my life. I mean, obviously I think we would all say that we would hope that our parents would, would have a, a big role in our life. I have said a thousand times over, if you're a coach, never take for granted the difference you may make in somebody's life. Uh, I know from uh, talking to numerous people that had the opportunity to play for Coach Pyle, he impacted many, many, many kids. He's as proud of the impact he made on them in the classroom and in life as much as he is on the baseball field. But when it comes right down to it, if you love the game of baseball, you want to be good at it and you want to win. Winning's great. Say it all the time. Winning's not everything, but it's darn close. Um, happy to have uh, happy to have him on the show, and he's welcome here anytime. As I could sit and talk baseball with him all day. In fact, I'm going to be as honest as I can be with you guys. As soon as we get off of here, we're going to go sit down, eat some lunch, watch a Cardinals game, and we're going to talk about you guessed it, baseball. Thanks again to the Rope Trainer. Check them out, theropetrainer.com. We appreciate them being a part of our show each and every week. We could not do the show without our old parent, Chris Vernon, and, of course, John Smoltz. As John says, everyone should have one from big leaguers to little leaguers. Check it out today. Special thanks to Kirk McNabb and his rope report that he brings us every week from Dirtbag Baseball Nation. Thanks again to Justin Stone, his EliteBaseball.tv training tip of the week. Make sure you check him out at EliteBaseball.tv. And, of course, my friend and yours, Rick Strickland from St. Louis Pirates, the Blast Motion Ask Rick segment, as always. Special thanks to LineUpMedia.fm. Couldn't do the show without them as well. For Youth Baseball Talk, I'm Jim Cromer. We will see you next week. Tune in next week for another edition of Youth Baseball Talk. Subscribe and leave a rating and review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to the show. Find us online at youthbaseballtalk.com, facebook.com slash youthbaseballtalk, or on Twitter at Podcast Baseball. Plus, check out all of our podcasts at lineupmedia.fm. This podcast was a presentation of lightupmedia.fm.